welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mark Dory, a writing fellow here at the Middle East Forum, senior research fellow of the Arthur Jeffrey Center for the Study of Islam, join us to discuss Islam's crisis of apostasy. Dr. Dory will speak for 10 to 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen. We'll do our best to get to all questions, but we have many participants on this webinar, so I apologize in advance if we do not get to yours today. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to doc Dr. Mark Dury. Thank you. Well, it's great to be speaking to you all about uh, a topic that is affecting the world. We live in extraordinary times, and there are great changes afoot in it, grassroots changes in the spiritual destiny of nations. And the world of Islam is a key player in this great unsettlement that's taking place. Some historical processes play out in decades or years and at times even seconds, but others take centuries. They're very slow, but, but profound. And Islam has been going through a long, slow theological process of huge importance for the world. Let me just begin with uh, some reflections about Islamic theology. If you want to understand a religion, you need to understand what it says about the human condition. It's uh, anthropology, and you need to know how it sees the human problem and the rewards it offers, the promises it makes. Islam's view of humanity is that human persons are basically weak and easily led astray, and the solution to this, this problem is divine guidance, which is imposed by uh, ideally all the institutions of society and the state, keeping people on the right path, and the reward that's promised is success. Islam promises success to its followers in this life and the next. There's a lot in the Quran about winners and losers and Muslims are the winners. The call to prayer, which sounds out from minarets all over the world, it includes the words come to success, come to success. So what is this success? Well, firstly, the Quran promises that Islam should dominate over all other faiths since Allah has sent his messenger with the religion of truth, it says, to make it dominate or prevail over all religions. And the Quran also says that Muslims are the best people in the world, given a divine destiny to command and to forbid. They're destined to rule. And these are very bold claims, but these promises of success, including dominance and superiority, were really amply confirmed for the first 900 years of Islam. Uh, and there were spectacular conquests and expansion. And for a long time, it seemed like Allah was granting success to the Muslims. Four out of five of the ancient uh, centers of Christianity fell to Islam, Alexandria, Jerusalem, Antioch, and Constantinople. Only one of those ancient centers, Rome, remained unconquered. But from 1500, the tide began to turn. Non-Muslim powers were pushed back on just so many fronts. Um, you could start it at 1492 when Granada finally fell in Spain, or perhaps 1510 when the Portuguese conquered Goa in India. Christian Ethiopia was liberated in 1543 with the help of the Portuguese. The Ottomans were defeated at the gates of Vienna in 1683 and gradually lost their hold on Eastern Europe. Napoleon conquered Egypt in 1798. America won the Barbary State Wars at the beginning of the 19th century. And on and on the list goes, Russian victories, Spanish victories, Portuguese victories, Dutch victories, French victories, British victories, the liberation of uh, Ottomans, Eastern Europe, 
the defeat of Muslim rule in India, the dismantling of the Ottoman Empire, and even the establishment of the State of Israel. At this time also, Islam's dominance within Islamic states was weakening. Uh, for example, in the mid 19th century, the Ottomans were forced to grant, at least in theory, equal rights to non-Muslims throughout their empire. And the full enormity of what was happening to the Muslim world took uh, a long time, I think, to be fully grasped by Muslim leaders, but they did get it. And this caused a huge theological crisis, a crisis of faith, a crisis of the credibility of Islam, in fact. Muslim teachers always pointed to the successes, the military victories of Islam, as proof that it was a true religion. And now the litany of defeats could be argued to be invalidating that claim. And this had the potential to sow doubt in the Muslim mind that religion, that Islam might not, might not be the religion of success. And, and after all, the theological question was what went, what went wrong? And the answer that drove all the Islamic revivalist movements from the Wahhabist movement through to Al-Qaeda or ISIS, Tablighi um, Jama'at, uh, they all had the same uh, basic idea that Muslims would be successful once again, achieving dominance and glory, if Muslims would only be truly devoted to Allah and implement his laws faithfully. And that's why Muslim women have been covering up all over the world because of the effect of, of this, this insight. So there've been so many movements for the last two centuries seeking to restore Islam to its former glory. Uh, that hope is summed up in the Muslim Brotherhood slogan, Islam is the solution. And the promise in that is that if only Islam rules, every kind of human problem would be solved. But again and again, when Islamic revivalism has managed to win power, the results have not been impressive. Look at the Taliban, the Iranian revolution, the Muslim Brotherhood's abortive period governing Egypt, Turkey under Erdogan, the Sudan's jihads against its own people, the Islamic uh, revival in Algeria, which fa uh, failed in a bloodbath and uh, the, the course of ISIS. There's a long list of failures. And in, overall, if you look back at the last two centuries of Islamic revivalism, the utopias don't turn out to be utopias at all, but dystopias. The promise of success is, is not being realized now because of Islam's failure, uh, not just because of outsiders. At the same time, Islamic nations are not doing well. They're not bringing prosperity, development and peace to their people. The GDP of the whole of the Middle East, that is excluding oil and Israel, is just a fraction of South Korea's, uh, a nation which 60 years ago was uh, completely poor and broken, but has now excelled the whole of the, of the Islamic Middle East. And the harder revivalist movement struggled to promote the success of Islam, the more evidence they seemed to provide of Islam's inability to solve the human problem. And as a result, the result, the anxiety runs deep. The, the theological crisis goes very deep. And a growing number of Muslims are leaving Islam, becoming atheists, becoming agnostics. They're converting to other faiths, uh, especially Christianity. Um, and it seems to be a general rule that whenever Islamic revivalist movements have seized power and had a good go at it, the long-term result is apostasy from Islam. And the longer and harder the Islamic rule goes, the deeper the apostasy runs. It's one thing to believe in a utopia and another hand uh, and quite another thing to experience the harsh, cold reality of an Islamic dystopia. So this is an extraordinary shift after 1400 years. In the past, Islam's grip on the minds of Muslims was pretty strong, so, so that most Muslims would accept that the, the religion was beyond criticism. Uh, 
Islam was seen as pristine, perfect, and pure. And there's a lot of political traction in this, uh, in this belief in Islam. And there are still many Muslims who think like that, but a lot are doubting. Um, I was just this past week reading a book by Mina Navisa, an Iranian convert from Christianity to Islam. And she wrote, Islam's current reputation is deplorable to the global community. And speaking to Muslims at the end of her book, she said, if you had not been born into a Muslim family, would the overall quality of life demonstrated by the world's Muslim populations attract you to Islam? And the obvious answer for her is no, it wouldn't. By 1978, the year of the Iranian revolution, after two centuries of Western missionary efforts amongst Persians, there are estimated to have been about three or 500 Iranian converts from Islam to Christianity. It's actually a very small number after 200 years of missionary efforts. But when the Islamic revolution happened, foreign ministries were expelled, church assets such as schools and hospitals were confiscated and Persian converts began to be persecuted, including uh, being killed. However, um, despite all that, um, these fellowships of converts, these small groups, uh, they went underground and their numbers began to increase very rapidly. And today it's estimated there are hundreds of thousands of converts to Christianity inside Iran meeting secretly. And this is despite the fact that the penalty for leaving Islam, according to Sharia law, is death. I've been leading an Iranian congregation in Melbourne for the last seven years, and most of the Iranians have a similar story. While they were still in Iran, they rejected Islam in their hearts. They resented its reliance on force to compel their belief. They wanted to be free to choose their own path. And in time, they chose Christianity. So their, contestant test, their consistent testimony is that they rejected Islam first. And they say that today only a really a fairly small minority of Iranians have any love left for Islam. Most dislike the religion. The Iranian numbers are the most dramatic, but there are similar trends that can be seen elsewhere large number numbers of Muslim refugees from ISIS spread across um, parts of Europe and also Lebanon and Jordan in refugee camps. They're, they're leaving Islam. And they reason that if, if ISIS has claimed that they're acting in the name of Islam, then they don't really want to follow that faith anymore. And there've been some books recently discussing mass conversions from Islam to Christianity. One is A Wind in the House of Islam by David Garrison. Another by Jerry Trousdale is Miraculous Movements, How Hundreds of Thousands of Muslims Are Falling in Love with Jesus. And then there's Too Many to Jail, The Story of Iran's New Christians by Mark Bradley. Some of uh, Europe's churches, formerly empty, uh, this is happening in Germany, are overflowing with converts from amongst uh, Muslim refugees from the Middle East. Now, not all who want to leave Islam as a result of this crisis of faith uh, become Christians. In Saudi Arabia, a survey some years ago indicated that about 20% of Saudis are just not religious and 5% are convinced atheists, which is about the same percentage of atheists as in the United States. And that's despite the fact that in 2014, a Saudi law declared that all atheists are by definition terrorists. Uh, it, I read that as a statistic that 3 million copies of Richard Dawkins' God Delusion have been downloaded in the Saudi Arabian kingdom. One Saudi woman tweeted a picture of herself stomping on the shredded Quran, wearing red high-heeled shoes. And as she stomped on this, these pages, she said, will Allah react or not? Will he cause an earthquake under my feet, even though I live next to his house? That is 
presumably in Mecca, or perhaps next to a mosque. The religion of Islam has long been regarded by Muslims as a, the most prestigious brand around, and it still is by many Muslims. There are hundreds of very large people groups that are Islamic, and they're not all on the same trajectory, but the overall trajectory of Islam has the features I've been describing. Um, instead of seeing Islam as a symbol of stability in, in society and in politics, this brand is losing credibility. And there's a spiritual vacuum being created as a result, which demands to be filled. It seems there's a general rule today that the more intensely a nation has been reshaped by Islamic revivalism or radical jihad, the more likely it is that there'll be significant numbers of Muslims eventually who'll want to leave Islam. And it's not surprising, you know, it's one thing to have your claims, your theological claims trashed by outsiders, by enemies conquering you, but it's another thing to promise utopia and to fail to deliver it so spectacularly. And that this is the, the, the huge crisis in the heart of Islam that's causing um, uh, the crisis of apostasy of disbelief based on the evidence of Islam's own failures in the modern era. I'm going to stop there now and uh, throw it open for questions. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So we have quite a few questions coming in. Uh, do you think that the problem is in Islam itself or more in the governance and religious leaders? It's definitely in Islam itself. Uh, one of the problems I think for people in the West is we have been taught that religions, religion's basically irrelevant. That's the Marxist view that it's a, it's, a, it's a tool really, but not a fundamental cause. I have a different view. I believe faith is very profound in the way it shapes people and Islam creates certain values in society and they're, they're not, the evidence is they're not successful. I mean, the, the Bosnians are, are poorer than the, um, than the Croatians, for example, Indian Muslims are poorer than Indian Hindus. Uh, wherever you've got uh, Islamic states, they generally are not not very successful. And, and I think Islam has a has a lot to a lot of bears a lot of responsibility for that. Thank you. Could you comment a little bit on how what the difference between numbers of Muslims converting to Christianity versus Christians, Buddhists, or other faiths converting to Islam? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, there are, uh, the Islam is growing. There's tens of thousands of uh, converts, for example, in Germany. Um, we often hear a mantra that Islam is the fastest growing religion. I don't think that's actually uh, true. Uh, it's, it depends what time frame you take as well. Islam has certainly been growing demographically, but that has slowed recently. So the birth rates have dropped off enormously in countries like Iran. Um, and if you look at the history of, uh, of Africa in the last century, you know, you might have thought 100 years ago that it would have become Islamic, but it's basically become Christian. Um, so um, the long term trend of Christianity is uh, pretty big outside the West. It's been growing and growing. Um, I think uh, th there are significant converts happening and Islam is growing in some places. Uh, I'm, I'm not really across the exact figures at the moment, but I don't think it's right to say that it's the fastest growing religion. Understood. Could you speak a little on the British, uh, aka the Pakistani or Bangladeshi second generations returning to Islam, their parents left? What could possibly explain this? Yes, I think that's fairly easy to understand. Um, but 
people left uh, Bangladesh or Pakistan or other Muslim countries, and there have been millions and millions that have done that because their societies have not been successful. This is the real issue. And they haven't had the opportunities that they've wanted. So they've, they've gone to countries where they believe that would happen. So they had some, um, they had some conviction that they needed to leave an Islamic society. Now, when they went to their new countries, they um, usually the first generation embraced that experience. They were glad that they got there. They became wealthier, their situation improved, but then their children had not experienced what it's like to live under an, an Islamic society. And at the same time, they um, were still connected to their faith, which promised them all these things. And they didn't have the evidence of the failure of Islam anymore. They just had the experience of being a uh, a minority in the West. And it's a kind of luxury to believe in utopia if you're living in America or in, in Britain, but it's very hard to believe in it if you're in Iran. Um, and so there's, that's, that's, the, that's the, the, the problem really, that, that you, it's, you can believe whatever you like if you live in the West, but if you're living under the, under the boot of Islamic revolutionary, Islamic regime in Iran, you, you have a, a much, less, um, much more realistic view of the effect of Islam on a nation. Thank you. Where do you see Islam going in the United States? Does the election and support of the recent Muslim Congresswomen mean tacit support or ignorance of Islam on the part of the American electorate? Well, I think Islam has been advancing in the US for a long time. There's no doubt that Obama opened up lots of doors, but that also groups like the Muslim Brotherhood were very strategic in, uh, in influencing. And um, I was listening, Joe Biden's speech recently made a lot of promises to the Muslim community. And I think that uh, I see the Islam will continue to advance politically. One of the problems of people in the West is that we're kind of um, hamstrung intellectually because we don't understand faith. We don't really understand its contribution. Where uh, also Muslims have been in our kind of woke culture Muslims have been classified as a oppressed minority. So that gives them a door as well, um, an open door, and that, that creates lots of problems uh, in the West. It's ironic that a, that a religion that proclaims supremacy and dominance over others should be treated as a disadvantaged group that needs to be empowered. But um, so, yeah, I think there are, there are dangers and difficulties ahead. And one of the great difficulties is just having a public conversation about the sorts of things I'm speaking about. You know, it's very, um, it's increasingly happened that people get shut down because of their things they say about differences between religions and, and that's really troubling. So I think the real battle is for, in the US is still going to be for freedom of speech, uh, freedom of discussion and debate about these matters. Are the people who convert to Christianity or become agnostic or atheist, um, are they safe in the country, in their new home countries or fearful of reprisals from their leaders? Well, um, they're not safe in their homelands, mostly. Um, uh, it's not, Iran's not a safe place to be for a Christian. In the West, it varies. I mean, I, I, some years ago, I met a Pakistani guy from the UK who'd become a Christian and he actually fled the UK. He, he felt it was unsafe for him to live in, 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 in Britain. Uh, because of his family, basically. So he came to, emigrated to Australia to seek asylum from Britain. Um, and I think there are dangers to converts uh, in, in the West or in their new home countries, but it depends a lot on the community. For example, 
the Iranians in Melbourne that I've had a lot to deal with in Australia, they don't fear other Iranians in Australia. Um, but it depends on your community. Uh, uh, certain communities it would be very dangerous to convert from. Um, others, uh, there's, a, there's a higher tolerance of dissent already in the, in the Iranian community, for example. That'll lead us into the next question. Do you think that liberal reformist movements in Islam can offer a remedy to this tension between Islamists and those who flee Islam because of them? That's a really important question. Um, I think in the long term, uh, they can't uh, because it, it's very hard to have a coherent liberalized Islam, I believe. <clears throat> I mean, that's my personal opinion, having studied the Quran and the Hadith and the life of Muhammad. It's, it projects a certain worldview that's very hard to liberalize, really. Um, there are liberal Muslims, but in the sense they're living off the spiritual inheritance of their parents and their, their family backgrounds. There's no global movement of liberal Islam that is um, producing preachers for mosques. There's, there isn't a movement of liberal mosques around the world. Um, that, you know, there's nothing like Reform Judaism, for example, and I mean, even Reform Judaism is struggling a lot these days, the, the heartland of the future of Judaism really lies in orthodoxy. Um, but in Islam, it's really even much harder, I think, to have a liberal movement. So there are liberal Muslims, but I don't think there's a um, significant movement of liberal Islam. The, the only dog on the street in terms of the future of Islam has been... Um, a revivalism, going back to the roots, reform by reinstituting the values of the Quran and Muhammad. And so, and I don't think, I don't see that as changing. Thank you. Do you think the long time colonizing of Muslim countries is the reason behind the, what the Muslims have reached nowadays? You know, those, um, those wars in which Islam was being pushed back, basically by the European powers or Western powers, some of them were colonizing, but many of them were wars of liberation. Um, so driving the Ottomans out of Hungary, helping the Ethiopians to be free, even in a way breaking Muslim power in its rule over India. Um, it's, uh, it's wrong to just purely understand that in terms of Western colonization. It's also, it's also these are also wars of liberation. Um, and I, I think that the fundamental issues that Islam are facing is not due to Western colonization. Yes, um, the ascendancy of the European powers, of the great powers, the technological ascendancy was a theological trigger that caused doubt about Islam's superiority. Um, they, and, and the effects of that are still being worked out. But it's not the problems that Islam is facing is not due to some kind of grievance due to being conquered or colonized. I mean, Islam itself is the one of probably the greatest and most successful colonial enterprise uh, that the world has ever seen. Um, it's not colonization itself as an issue, but more the loss of Muslim power, the loss of dominance, uh, the inability to fill your harem full of the other people's daughters, you know, that, that world is gone. And um, that was the world that had reassured Muslims that, is, that Allah did in fact give them success. Thank you so much for that. Is there any commonality of social or intellectual background among ex-Muslims? I do some access Western critical analysis of the Quran or, or 
are others also engaged in political dissident, of which leaving Islam is an additional expression of their dissidence? I think it's incredibly varied. That's a good question. Um, some Muslim communities are more open to the world of ideas, the global world. So Iranians um, have a pretty high level of engagement with ideas from other places, for example. But um, there are large people movements coming out of Islam amongst more tribal peoples who, who don't have that kind of worldview or access to knowledge. So it varies a great deal. Um, and I think in my experience, um, the fundamental issue for people rejecting Islam is not uh, engagement with philosophy, uh, although that can help them. Um, it's uh, two things. Firstly, uh, uh, and uh, their own lived experience that they were being forced to follow something they didn't believe in or didn't want to believe in, and they they felt it was it lacked integrity to have to use force in order to get compliance from people. It, it's sort of self-defeating to use force to compel me to believe. That proves that you actually are not speaking the truth because if you were speaking the truth, you wouldn't have to use force to make me believe you. Um, so that, that argument is, is just at a very visceral level is very compelling. And another thing that is happening that is part of the modern kind of condition is that information about Muhammad and the life of Muhammad is becoming much more available to people. And so I've met lots of Muslims who said, you know, Muhammad killed too many people, ex-Muslims, and we just can't believe in someone like that. And the force that I've experienced in my life that's compelled me to pray, my father beating me to make me pray early in the morning, for example, um, this, 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 this is, is, is a pattern that in a way is reflected in Muhammad's life, and I don't like that. Um, the philosophy, the exposure to other ideas is, 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 the, is the cherry on the cake, but the fundamental issue is this desire. I want to choose my own religion. I want to make my own choice for my life. Wonderful. Thank you. Can you give us a little information as to where we can find some more of your work? Yes, you can find markdury.com. Uh, it's a website and there's some books on Amazon too. I think my book, The Third Choice, uh, explains um, the nature of Islam, the theological DNA and how it's worked out through history. So if you haven't read that, that's a good place to start. I, I have various articles too on my site and also videos and um, uh, you know, other posts that you'll be able to find. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, we've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again, Dr. Dury, for speaking with us today. It's a privilege to be with you today. Thank you. For our viewers, please be on the lookout for our weekly webinar offerings email coming out for next week. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks, Stacey. Okay.